We welcome in Adam Silva. Uh, Adam, what's going on? How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. And, and I just want to start by saying congratulations on the 30-year run. No, thank miss you. you a lot. Appreciate it very much. And uh, the year is underway. How are things in the league? Things are pretty good so far, I'd say, right? You're yeah, happy I, with things? I think there are a lot of surprises around the league. We're seeing you know, a lot of young talent. Very good young players. Showcased. Yes, yes. Um, nice to see what's going on in Philly. Nice to see a competitive Nick team. Nets obviously had some tough injuries. Um, Cleveland's sort of getting it together now. Golden State, no surprise out there. Tough injury for the Clippers the other night. But no, it's like, I, you know, I look at it, I, I have our league pass, and I, you know, you can look down the list, and often you have nights, 12, 14 games, and I sort of flip around the dial, and there are increasingly more interesting teams in the league. It may be, it's not a team that's necessarily going to compete for a championship, but with young and up-and-coming players, it's just it's, it's there's great stuff happening all around. You know, I, I, when I look at it is, when I look at the leagues and say, where is the next guy coming from? Where is the next LeBron coming from? Where is the next player coming from? Where is the next big star coming from? And when I look now, I see the Greek freak. I see Kyrie Irving playing brilliantly. I see Ben Simmons playing brilliantly. Uh, you have the big men in the West. You got a couple of them, obviously, that we know well. So you're seeing already the emergence of this next wave of guys. And, you know, th- th- there's there's plenty of them there. There really are. Some, and, and, and Tatum looks very good. Right. I mean, you're seeing some very, very impressive young players. Porzingis, another one. I was so about to say, yeah, right sure. here in New York. Yeah, so there's plenty of them right now. I mean, Ben Simmons is, if you haven't seen him yet, Ben Simmons has got an incredible game. No, in fact, I'm going to Philly tonight. Uh, they're playing the Wizards. Uh, you know, I hope he's healthy. He twisted his ankle the other day. but And his teammate, Joel Embiid. Yep. Um, and they have the number one pick in Markel Fultz, who's not even playing yet. Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. Now, a couple things uh, to jump on. Number one, uh, the college needs your help on this one-and-done thing. they got yeah. enough problems right now. Can you give them some help in this area with something they can live in? So... I hear them loud and clearly, and you know I went to Duke. I've talked to Coach K about it. I've talked to Kevin White, their athletic director, about it. And, I mean, they're living off the one-and-done system right now. I mean, they're, this is going to be the second year in a row where it's projected that the last year they had, um, you know, in essence, four one-and-done kids, and they're probably going to have four again this year. But I think they're the first to point out that it's it's not a way to build the sport of basketball with, these guys there for, you know, one season, just really trying to come together for a single tournament. And so we're taking a fresh look at it. It's something that has to be collectively bargained with our union. So just so I think your listeners understand, yes. this, but even if we wanted to go to, we're at 19 minimum age now, if we wanted to go to 20, we can't unilaterally do it. We have to negotiate. I think people don't realize they think it's a college thing. It's not. It's right. up to your union to set the parameters here. Exactly. I mean, there are things that college could do. You remember in the old right. days, freshmen were ineligible. No question. There there, there are ways they can address it, but I I think the issue for us is historically we felt that it was in our interest, the league's interest, that these young men spend more time playing college ball. I think what we're increasingly seeing, though, is that the top players aren't as focused on playing college as they were, and even for the year they're there. I mean, again, I mentioned Markel Fultz. He played for a team in Washington Washington State that didn't make the NCAA tournament. Which is amazing. The year before, Ben Simmons played for LSU. They did not make the NCAA tournament, yet both of them were still the top picks in the league. And that doesn't go unnoticed in the community of agents and players. And, no question. In that the stakes are so high. I mean, a, 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 a 
top pick that comes into the league now, well, let's say take a top five pick that comes in next year, and if that pick goes on as he is expected to be a top player in the league and get a max contract, and let's say that player makes it in the league for 10 to 12 years, that player is going to make just in salary hundreds of millions of dollars. So the stakes are so high now for these players that when they go into college, it's not that they don't want to win, but first and foremost, the people around them are focused on where they're going to be picked in the NBA draft. And it may mean from a development standpoint that especially now with, you know, our development league was, was renamed the G League. This year we now have a 26-team G League that is going to be a 30-team, in essence, minor league um, in the next year or two, that we're in a position to develop, to develop players that we weren't historically, where we had to rely almost entirely on the college system. So, you know, we got, I think we all agree we shouldn't leave the status quo in place. And so it's something we're sitting down. We have a, a committee of owners actually led by Michael Jordan as, as the owner of Charlotte. And um, we're, we're looking at all the data, sort of trying to understand what is the path to success in the league. It's on, you know, how much college basketball are those players playing. In addition, we have a whole other pool of players to look at. And that's, you mentioned some of them a few minutes ago, the international stars Absolutely. in our league. And, you know, I, I had uh, Zaza Pachulia uh, from the Golden State Warriors in my office the other day, together with Jordan Bell, a rookie on the Warriors. And I was asking him the question, what do you guys think about 19 or 18? And Jordan Bell, and he came out, I believe, after his junior season. He said, you know, if, predictably, if, if you're good enough to play in the league at 18, you should be allowed to come in the league. So I said, Zaza, what do you think? He said, I grew up in Georgia, Soviet Georgia. He said, I, in essence, became a pro when I was 14. I, my, I moved to Istanbul played for the professional club there, was on the junior team, and then was brought up, in essence, to varsity to their top club at 16. Amazing. And so, and we know from international soccer right. that those And hockey stars, guys do it at yeah, a very young age. Yeah, yes. they're, you know, in, in the academy system, in essence, for, you know, Chelsea, yep. and FC Barcelona, and Real Madrid, 12, 13, they're leaving home, becoming in essence, full-time members of those organizations. So I, it to me, I think now it seems that for most people it comes down to, well, we're at 19, should we be at 20 or should we be at 18? I think whatever we do, we have to look more holistically at youth basketball, especially the whole AAU you know, approach you know, to, to, and, and how much basketball they're playing. Also, we're seeing a rash of injuries in our young players. And you know, in Little League, for example, there's a pitch count. There, there's no such thing in AAU basketball. And they play well, all year, these guys. All, all, all year. year. Yep, and they, often, play, they play 11 months. Yeah, they do. 11 months. And often you have some of these players at 15, 16, playing eight games in a weekend. No question. I mean, everybody talks about back-to-backs in our yep. league. So that's that's another area. Where that's, very, that's very true, and it's something you can pay attention to. I agree with you. It makes a lot of sense because it's your pipeline. There's no question. We're talking with Adam Silva. Uh, the NBA commissioner, you've been very progressive on the gambling issue of the commissioners. You've been the most honest. You've also been uh, the the most advanced. The decision, uh, they go, it goes before the Supreme Court next week. Uh, as a matter of fact, this week. Uh, and uh, we might not find out till June. Uh, Christy told me June 30th is the, is the deadline. Right. Um, what do you think happens there? Do you think the states win and, and you're off and running? Is that what you expect? So the, the, the case that uh, Governor Christie brought, but 
obviously, even with him stepping down, it's still on behalf of the state of New Jersey, is in essence to ask the court to define unconstitutional the, the current federal law that bans most states from engaging in sports betting and has exceptions for the state of Nevada and some other um, smaller exceptions around the country. And it's it's unclear to me. I, I it it The Supreme Court, the fact that they took the case, so there's nine justices, and it takes four justices to choose to take a case. So we know there's at least four justices that are inclined to rule in favor of the state of New Jersey, and they need to convince a fifth justice. But so let's say it's 50-50 in, in gambling terms. Um, if, if the state of New Jersey were, were to win that case, I think we're then looking at a, a framework that I don't think is ideal, and that is that you have potentially 50 different sets of rules. You don't want that for you, 50 states. You and want so, a federal. You want a federal yeah, system, right? Right, and so it's something I, I I've talked about and written about in the past, and I think where I don't agree with the current federal law. So I, I, I'm I'm on the same page as Governor Christie there. It's just that where he's in essence promoting state by state ability to enter into sports betting how how they may choose. Our view and the NBA's view is let's have a new federal law that sets consistent guidelines from state to state, but at the same time give states the option as to whether they want to allow sports betting in their jurisdiction. So if the state of New Jersey were to want it, their state legislator, state legislature can choose to do it. And if South Dakota doesn't want to have it, they don't have to do it. But I think even if the state of New Jersey loses the case, I think there's so much more interest in doing something about this now on a federal level than there was even just a few years ago. And I think it's likely that Congress will act because all this discussion now about tax reform and deficits, everybody at this point, and that was that was the the reason why I've taken the position I have, not that I'm necessarily in favor of sports betting, although I don't think it's the evil a lot of people think it is. It's just it's happening. It's happening largely illegally right now, largely underground. We might as well regulate it. It's in the league's interest for transparency purposes that we understand where the bets are coming from we understand if there's line movements we can track it we can try to understand what's causing those lines to move um you know and we can spot problem gamblers because people are using their credit cards it's it's not listen i I don't want to hide from it that people say i should i shouldn't be a hypocrite and not talk about where it could be good for business of course it potentially could be good for business not because will necessarily make money directly from the bets, but because it leads to more engagement. We all know that. No question. As fantasy has. Uh, yeah, exactly. and, and it's gambling anyway. I mean, they can say it's not, but it's completely right. gambling, which we right. know. So, I mean, there's nothing. And I agree with you. It's forward thinking. So you would prefer, though, if you would could could handle it and run it the way you wish, you would prefer it was done federally. Is there anything you would want restricted? Is there any part of it you're worried about specifically? Is there any things you'd want outlawed? Well, I don't know. You know, there's, as you know, you get into all these different prop type bets. Sure. And I think, you know, we, we'd want to ensure that we didn't create incentives for odd things to happen that may not affect the outcome of the game, but might only be things that Bingo. gamblers cared about. But Interesting. I, I think for the most part, I think of it like the New York Stock Exchange, um, that if there's aberrational activity, they have sophisticated algorithms that spot it. In, in other words, if there's... Sure. You know, a, a merger that's about to be announced, but all of a sudden there's an enormous amount of stock movement. They track it and they un- try to understand who's trading on that stock, why they would have that information. I think it's no different in sports that everyone knows there's lines, there's predictions based on past performance, based on who the players are. If something's being predicted that seems unusual, 
it causes leagues, you know, people who are who are in charge of the integrity to take a look and to try to understand what's going on. I, I think for us, it probably would mean that we, we and it maybe it's a combination with the other leagues, would have some integrity body that would, that would you know, ha- have that, the, the, the power to look at those sort of things. And, and because on, on behalf of gamblers, what's interesting, of course, gamblers want to un- ensure that there's integrity behind the data. Too. More than anybody. Right, more than anybody. So Absolutely. they want to know everything's on the level. And I think for us, it's, it's really a, f- a function of that and making it, in essence, consumer friendly, but at the same time, having the ability to spot problem gamblers. I mean, it's like alcohol or anything else that's, that's legal, but there's potential for issues. The vast majority of people drink responsibly, but some people don't. And so you, you need systems in place that where you can deal with those issues if they were to come up. But just to be clear, obviously, there are lots of problem gamblers out there right now, but there's no transparency around it. They're not, they're, it's either they're using cash or there's, there's some way. And, and I think ultimately, if it's legalized, we'll be in a much better position to to monitor any bad behavior, whether it's by people participating in this board or people betting on it. I'm talking with Adam Silva, the NBA commissioner. <clears throat> Why do you think that uh, the NFL's had the problem they have with the protests and the anthem, and you haven't had a problem in a league that is a by percentage of very high African American league in terms of uh, in terms of population, which baseball isn't. That's been the reason baseball's been given. You haven't had any problems in your sport. Why? I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. I, I I will say that in our sport, I think the maybe it's in part that the players have guaranteed contracts that they feel safer speaking out on political issues that they care about. That there's a long tradition in the NBA going back, you know, to Oscar Robertson, Bill Russell, to people who were, you know, passionate union members who spoke out about societal issues that were important to them. It's, I think it's a culture that's been passed down from player to player. They, Because we play roughly three games a week and our players do media before and after every game, they have this ongoing platform to speak to the public where NFL players may not. I think they're they're better known for the most part. Our, our stars, they're, you know, they don't, they're not behind helmets and pads. They're really front and center. They have embraced social media. So my, my sense is that our players feel that they have opportunities that maybe players in other sports don't to make their positions clear. I mean, it's also the case that we have a rule in our league that the NFL did not have on its books, and we have a rule that requires players to be present on the floor and to stand for the anthem. It, of course, doesn't necessarily mean that our players if they were provoked, might not follow the rule. but that And that's a rule that was in place in our league before even David Stern was commissioner. It was put in place um, while Larry O'Brien was the commissioner in the early 1980s. And it's been part of the tradition. And it's interesting, you know, when people talk about patriotism, as I mentioned before, 25% of our league uh, is comprised of players that aren't even American. But they see it as a matter of respect for the country they play in. So... I, I can't say that there's something magical we did that if only the NFL had done, they would be in a different position. I think it's a very different league in a different situation. But I, my, the credit goes to our players. I don't think it's necessarily because we happen to have a rule on our books since the 1980s that the, the NFL didn't have. I think ultimately in talking to our players, they do respect our country. They, it's not that they don't understand that there's a role for protest, but I think they understand the larger issue and that... Um, they have other ways both to protest, but then ultimately 
to affect change. And, and, and again, so much credit goes to our players because they've done a lot of things that, and, and not all of it's been reported in the media or have the media been privy to. For example, in all of our team cities last year, we had um, private meetings among our players, um, police officers, and young people of color in those communities to talk about policing issues, to talk about why there have been misunderstandings and and, and you didn't la- and, you didn't, and you didn't publicize this right and 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 actually Carmelo Anthony when he, he was here in New York was leading many of those initiatives and we also happen to have a players association that is led by our top players and that always hasn't been the case where Chris Paul is the president of our union Carmelo Anthony is an executive uh, board member LeBron is and so it I think it's there are a lot of different circumstances that came together that put us in a different position than the NFL. Talking with Adam Silver, the NBA commission. Now, since I mentioned the NFL, uh, it was reported that you got a call from the NFL to test your interest. Is that, is there truth to that? Is there Uh, any fact to that? Not, not from the NFL, but, um, Look, I, I'll just say I love my job. Did I'm, you get I'm, a call? <laughs> Tell the truth. Gonna, did you I'm get a call? I'm not going to answer that. I did not get a call from the NFL. I will say that. But uh, you got a call I, from I, an owner. I, I've been here for 25 years. I have no intention of going anywhere. You're an I'm, NBA I'm, guy, I'm, but that's not I'm a bad. That's guy. not a bad league to get a call from. Well, I, I love our league, and uh, um, I, I, I've been. By the way, I've been listening to your coverage. I only say I am a Giants fan, so, but I'm not going to weigh in. I'm not going to get myself in trouble. But uh, you can weigh in. I, I hear you. But you can uh, weigh in on Eli. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, um, um, I have no expertise in football other than being a Giants fan. I'll leave it at that. And last night, your your your, your biggest star got thrown out of the, of the game for the first time ever. So I, I, kudos to the official who had the nerve to throw him <laughs> out the goal to throw him out of the game. Well, um, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> you know, kudos to him. I, I give him yeah, credit. No, it's like I give him credit to throw him out of position. the league. He 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 did the the official did what he thought was the right decision at that Dolan moment. puts the Liberty up for sale. Obviously he has railed a couple of times about losing money with the Liberty. Uh, does the NBA still need the WNBA? Does it serve a purpose if it's losing money? Oh, I, I look, I mean that I think it serves an enormous purpose. I don't think it's about the NBA needs the WNBA. I think society needs the WNBA. I think women's basketball. Needs does it the have WNBA. to be sufficient though? Does it have to be self-sufficient at yeah, some point? Yes. Yes. Over time. I, it, it's like any business. It has to be, it can't just be a perpetual subsidy from, and it's not as much a subsidy from the NBA as a whole. It's more being subsidized by the individual owners in the WNBA. But, and, and in fact, I had a meeting with a group of the WNBA owners this morning. I mean, they, it's, Nobody's involved in women's basketball who isn't passionate about it. Nobody's coming at it as if it's just a business. They they care deeply about women's sports and women's role in women's role in society sure. and how having a professional women's sports league can impact that. But at the same time, they're trying to turn it into a real business. And we're in the twenty first year now of the WNBA and we've made enormous progress. We have some of our teams are profitable now. We have a great television arrangement. There are the profitable teams? No, some. Okay. There are, yes. Okay. Yes, yes, absolutely. There are okay. profitable teams. It's about break even from the league level. Ultimately the issue in the WNBA is that it's it's not necessarily a problem with the television coverage because we have a good deal with ESPN. We need to get more people in seats. And I think right. it's it's I've said this before. I think it's a marketing problem because I look at that league now. 20 plus years into it the quality of the basketball has gone up leaps and bounds i mean it's 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 great basketball um it's fundamental basketball you've got it's it's the number one participation sport for women in college number one participation sport for for boys and young men so there's definitely interest in it but i, I would say I'll, I'll acknowledge it It lacks a certain cool factor and I, i've watched sort of 
Mike, over our lifetimes, what's happened in women's tennis, for example, right. where now you have many of the women's tennis players, nobody would suggest that they could go out and compete against the top men's players. Never, that women's no. tennis in its own right is right. incredibly popular. Yes. And, and I still think there, there's a lot of work to be done. You know, there's like here in the Northeast, you have the great programs like, you know, one run, run by Jeannie Oriamel. Sure, Jeannie Oriamel Uconn's at the University dynasty. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so, I, and, I, and I have a young daughter. It's important to me that the league survive. Right. And so we're, we're, we're committed to it, but committed to it means turning it into a business, not just running well, listen, it. Well, listen, I agree there should be a WNB. I think we, I think we all agree with that. But the question is, can it, does it have to at some point, be able to carry its own weight. That's the yes, question. It, it does. I, I think like like any other business, you know, you can ramp up for a number of years, and there's a history in all professional sports where it's taken many of the major leagues decades, find, frankly, to find their appropriate spot in society and to become profitable businesses. And even when we had our lockout in the NBA, you know, you know, only seven years ago or so, you know, we lost half a season because we had so many teams that were running unprofitably and we righted the ship and, you know, we're in a much better position we are now than we were. But in the case of the WNBA, I, I, there's, there's more to be done. I think that we're not tapping in culturally the way we should because my experience has been when I take people to the Liberty game, even skeptics, they come away thinking this is so much better than I thought it would be. The quality of the games are great. There's a great enthusiasm among the fans. But it's not translating yet. And it's, I get it. There's people out there who are never going to be interested in women's basketball. That's fine. But we only need a, actually a small slither, slither of the population to, to be successful. Is there and any interest? That. Does it, is there anybody interested in buying the Liberty? Is that, yeah, absolutely. There are, no, there are people interested. Yeah. The, the, the process is underway and, and several people have stepped forward. Several. Oh, good. Um, I'm glad that's the New case. New Yorkers. All right. I'm glad. I, I think New York's going to be the hardest sell because it's the hardest sell for anything. Breaking through in New York is hard. So, you know, if, if it's hard to break through somewhere, New York's going to be harder to break through. And there's just too much to do here. That's the reason you know, why. And one of the problems is, I mean, for, I mean, the NBA, seven years in business, we play in building approximately 19,000 fans. I'm not sure that for the WNBA at this stage in its development should be playing in NBA buildings. Ideally, I, you know, I, I wish there were more smaller size buildings. Like for example, that's a very good the point. Because they're team, expensive. Because yeah, it plays up at the Mohegan Sun. Right. It's an it's an eight thousand person arena. It's perfect, perfect size Absolutely. for the WNBA. And and part of the issue for Madison Square Garden is, is the expense. It, it's, it's probably the most expensive oh, building far. in the world to by operate far. without and, question. And and it's it's not only expensive to operate, but when for each WNBA date, it means that you can't put a concert in that night, which which is arguably much more profitable than having a women's basketball And probably game. the biggest point of all, they want the dates back more than anything else. Exactly. Right? Yeah, which obviously in an arena of that magnitude, you're right, they need another home. That's a very good point for them. They probably do when they're... Uh, in, when they get a new owner, they probably need another home. It's probably the best point uh, uh, for them. But it's not going anywhere, the WNBA. To see the New York franchise changing hands does not mean there's anything going to happen to the WNBA, right? Not at all. Okay, good. When you, you know... You've had some. It surprised me you've had any ownership change at all because I'm not going to talk about a situation like you had out with the Clippers. That's a different situation. But right. I mean, right now, whenever franchises are sold, I'm surprised because they're so valuable right now in this age of digitalization and where everything is and where it's going. I think right now you'd want to grab hold and hold on to your franchise because the next 10 years could be unbelievable in terms of what could happen. I'm surprised whenever I see a franchise sold like Houston or anything like that, it surprises me. Well, I'll say those sales 
haven't been dictated by the the, the owner's view of of the future financial viability or likelihood of increased value. I mean, take, for example, the Houston Rockets you had there, the owner, Leslie Alexander. He was just the point of his life in his mid-70s, right. a function of estate planning and sort of what, the next chapter in, in, in sort of his life and, and, and planning for his children. It's, 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 it, it wasn't by any means a, 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 a sense at all that he didn't want to continue owning the team. And I think that's, that's generally what we've seen over the last, you know, with the exception of the Clippers over the last five years or so in, in the league, that to the extent teams have been sold, it's been more a function of a individual decision for that owner of where um, he or she is in their life and, and the need for planning. And then, and the estate planning issue becomes even more paramount as they, as these teams become more valuable. No question. You know, the taxation issues and other things. And then I think you also had a unique circumstance here um, in Brooklyn where you have, you know, a, a Russian owner and, right. and issues at home. But, and it's interesting that, that, that what the deal he's done there in essence is he's sold an interest to uh, this guy, um, Joe Tsai, who happens to be a Canadian resident, but he does business in China, Taiwanese parents, but one of the most success, successful businessmen in China in that he's the co-founder of this company, Alibaba, which is sort of like oh, Amazon. Oh, sure. Right, it's you the know, Amazon of China. China. Absolutely, yeah. And, Enormously big company. Yeah, yes. but with, with a path to control where Joe Tsai and his group won't take over for four seasons, but, but, but puts the team on incredibly sound footing. And also for our business, as we grow globally, as to your point about the value of content, it's a recognition that it's not just, of course, a U.S. property with increasing number of international players, increasing interest around the world. These and, and as media, the ability through digital media, over-the-top streaming, um, you know, uh, apps, you know, that, that now people, regardless of time zones, where it used to be, if you weren't on in a market in the middle of the night, people, or, I mean, in prime time, you didn't have access to television. Now, for example, with 12-hour time difference in China, People are watching the NBA when they're commuting to work on their phones or their tablets. <laughs> Amazing when you think about it. You know, I was wondering, are there any rules? We're talking about Adam Silver. Thinking to the future and how much players now want to be, every player now, the new thing, and I think Jordan started it, and you're seeing Jeter and you're hearing other players, Aaron Rodgers, I've heard as interest, or trying to get into interest into the, into the Milwaukee franchise. Right. Uh, we know about Tom Brady and his quest. I've had other players tell me my quest is to own. They want to own. Right. Uh, we know that. Is it, is it against the rules for an active player? Is, would it be in, insane or could we reach a point where on a second deal of a LeBron-type player, the team, the player got points in the team, would it be illegal? It's, it's a great question. It didn't used to be illegal. It's illegal now because of the salary cap system. So where LeBron, there's a cap on what Cleveland can pay him. Okay. We therefore don't allow them to also give him an interest because it has to be team. part of the way that you weigh it out. There's right. no way. There's no way to monetize that. So I we, mean, right. you, you could arguably, but at least right. in our system, so it's illegal. For, it didn't used to before the cap. It was not right. illegal. Right. It wasn't in the. And old now days. it is. Na and now it is. Okay. But, so, but on the other hand, in terms of foreign players, you know, I mentioned before you have, you have Michael Jordan, of course, being the principal owner of, uh, of Charlotte Hornets. But now you have recently Grant Hill bought a significant share of the Atlanta Hawks. You have David Robinson has a piece of San Antonio Spurs. A lot of people don't 
know, don't know this, but Shaq owns a piece of Sacramento Kings. Does he really? Yeah, I didn't so, realize that. And so, and, and yeah. didn't Aaron Rodgers now buy a piece of the of the uh, Milwaukee it, franchise? It, it, it's rumored. It's rumored. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I, I, someone told me it happened. So it's, I, it's I, on I guess its way. It's on it's, its way. So but, we're gonna have you got players in other leagues as active players. Yeah, well, well, Shows you the magnitude of the players' contracts now that they can actually buy in while they're still playing. Well, but isn't that interesting that you have? Well, an active NBA player can't buy an NBA. Can't buy a piece of an NBA franchise or or be p- paid in essence through, through equity in a team. You can have active athletes in other sports buying right. into the NBA, which you're which you're seeing now. But but again, and I think even for this league, for the partnership we have with the players, believe me, when we sit down and collect the bargaining, and Michael was very involved. It's not as if he sits down across from Chris Paul and LeBron and Carmelo and they say, "Oh, Michael, now that you're an owner, you're a former player, whatever you want." It's still a very adversarial negotiation, but I think there's a certain respect there and trust that might not otherwise exist. And you have now current players like LeBron, like Chris, who are and Dwayne Wade, who are openly saying, "Once I retire, I would love to become an owner in the NBA." They really want to, which is really it. Just shows you they want to put their money back in because it's the way for their money to grow enormously, which makes a lot of sense. But it's actually, I think, in the long run, in the in the long haul, good for your league. It really is. No, no question. And I because I mean, even back to your your question about the the anthem. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a partnership between the league and the players, and you know, it's. We, we could pass whatever rules, but if players were going to say we're not going to follow them, we would have a problem. I mean, I, you know, you can't discipline every player in the league at once. And so at the end of the day, it's, it, you, you need a, a large element of good faith and trust. And I think right now, Michelle Roberts is doing a great job running the, the Players Association as the executive director. And again, we, we don't agree on a lot of things. And it's, 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 it's a dynamic where it's adversarial in a lot of cases, but I think it's, it's built around trust. And so we may not agree, but we both accept that the person is, fairly and accurately representing the interests of their constituents. Well, listen, I appreciate your time today. We covered a lot of stuff. Uh, thanks for a couple of minutes. Uh, good luck this season, and thank you. Yeah, Mike, again, I, I really mean it just the, the, the fan of me long before thank I was you, Adam, the I NBA appreciate as it. commissioner. I've been listening to you, so thanks. Thanks for very much. Very much. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate yep. it. Thank you. Bye-bye.